We have two Bible readings today. And after the forgiveness part we just experienced before, I think this is a well-timed Bible reading from John chapter 21 and from verse 1. Can you remember right back at the beginning, at the start of Jesus' ministry, he was on at Galilee at the beach and he meets some fishermen. What was the invitation that he asked them to do? Can you remember? It was a six-letter word. Follow me. What jumped out at me at this Bible reading is the last words in this particular text. Listen for them. Afterwards, Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and the two other disciples were together. Well, I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, well, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore But the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, Well, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, Oh, it's the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he'd taken it off, and he jumped into the water. I was that excited. (laughs) The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about 100 yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish. So Vern, large fish there. (laughs) 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them. And he did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, Son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, 
do you love me? Now, Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things and you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and somebody else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. The second reading is from Hebrews. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. Well, friends, the Lord be with you. Would you please pray with me? Holy Spirit, you are the teacher. You're the one who brings us into truth. You're the one who reveals Jesus to us. So do this. Do this in our midst, Lord. Help Jesus to grow bigger in our hearts and minds and help us bring us to a point of surrender to him so we can play our part in your plans for your world to his glory. Amen. Well, that story from John 21 where Jesus again appears to his disciples, I think it tells us a lot about Jesus' heart for people, particularly during times of transition or change, uh, when they're not sure of the future. Uh, Jesus had risen from the dead. He was sort of popping in and out on them, but it, he was soon about to leave them. I want you to put yourself in the disciples' uh, sandals for a little bit and try to work out how they were feeling about it all. Palm Sunday, uh, this magnificent procession into Jerusalem, and what were all the disciples hoping? Jesus would become... King in Jerusalem. Yet before the week's out, what happens? He's crucified, dead and buried. And where were the dis devastated disciples? What were they doing? Hiding in a locked room for fear of the Jews. Yet on Resurrection Sunday, Jesus just pops in. I love the playfulness of Jesus. <laughs> Peace be with you, fellas. Oh. And they are filled with joy. Joy in the life of Jesus, but Thomas wasn't there. So the following Sunday, what happens? Jesus pops in again, <laughs> convincing Thomas that he didn't need to doubt that Jesus was well and truly risen and bringing the confession from Judas. What is it? My Lord and my God. Beautiful, beautiful confession. You know, that was probably the last day of the Passover festival. So the next few days the disciples go back up to Galilee 
to wait, 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 wait for Jesus to show up again, just as he promised. And in all the waiting, I can imagine Peter going, oh, I'm bored, I'm going to go fishing. So some of the others say, yeah, we'll tag along with you. So they go out fishing, and how successful are they? <laughs> okay, they were, they'd spent all night, and they'd caught nothing, zilch, nada. Now, given that some of them were professional fishermen, I reckon that might have been just a little bit discouraging and a little bit demoralising. Question, where was Jesus? Where was he? On the shore. And what was Jesus doing on the shore? Okay, he was watching over them and preparing them breakfast. Friends, note that Jesus comes to them and even while they're not even aware of it, Jesus is present watching them and wanting to help. I think that's important for us to remember in this season. Friends, as we step into this season, Jesus is watching over us and wanting to help us. The good shepherd Jesus, in God's good time, will bring a new pastor into good shepherd. You know what? He already knows who that person is. So you don't need to be fearful or anxious. That will happen in God's good time. And for Leanne and me, God will bring us to settle into a new home and into a new church family. Friends, no matter what changes or challenges we face, Jesus is always with us so we can have hope that he is bringing us into God's future. Amen? So we don't need to be fearful or anxious. All right. Taking the initiative, Jesus calls out, ah, you guys haven't got any fish? No. And what does he tell them? Throw them down on the right side of the boat, you'll catch some, and bang! 153 big fish fill the nets. It's so heavy, they can't even drag it into the boat. Instead, they've got to tow the net to the shore. Get that? And with that miracle, there's also, bang, realisation, as John the disciple says, it's the Lord. Jesus has got to reveal himself before he is recognised in these post-resurrection appearances. Now, friends, this is the second time Jesus has helped them catch a lot of fish. But I think the point is, on their own, they were floundering and failing, but when they listened to the, jo- the voice and the words of Jesus, they became fruitful. Here's the application. Friends, whenever we're facing challenges, whenever we're facing change, we often try to resolve it ourselves, or we ask advice from some people we know, or in church circles, what do we do? We form a committee. <laughs> I submit to you, friends, the better thing to do is to turn to the living God. Oh, Father, can you help us? Lord Jesus, have mercy on us. Holy Spirit, we need your help and guidance and wisdom in this place, in this space, because we don't know the way forward. Friends, I urge you to keep praying and waiting for God's answer. Because if we want to be fruitful in this kingdom enterprise of Jesus, we need to keep pressing into his promises 
hearing his voice and putting his words into practice. Amen? All right. Now, Jesus knows they've been out all night and they're hungry. And as the host, Jesus invites them, come on, I've got breakfast ready, come. They encountered the risen Jesus over a shared meal. I think there's something huge in that. Because isn't that how Jesus showed his acceptance and solidarity with all sorts of people through his ministry? And he got complaints. Oh, what are you doing eating with sinners like them? Jesus was building bridges of friendship over a meal. Over a meal is how Jesus connects with people today. Through you and through me. Over a meal, we don't just share food, do we? There's something deeper that happens when we share a meal. Love and friendship. Listening to one another's stories. Rejoicing with each other, weeping for each other. Over a meal, the the barriers are lowered and we build bridges of friendship. And over that bridge of friendship, if Jesus is invited... He comes into our midst and people encounter him. If you ever wonder about the power of a shared meal, talk to the people who go to our Monday night meet and eat and ask about how lives are touched and transformed over a meal where Jesus is present. Very powerful. And as Jesus serves the breakfast to his disciples... He's proclaiming louder than words, hey, you guys, I'm not angry with you. I'm not blaming you. Here, let me bless you. Let me show you favour. Let me assure you that you're forgiven. Let me assure you and demonstrate to you that things are right between us. Jesus' favour and grace restores their joy. And friends, I want to remind you that our failures don't cancel God's commitment to us. Jesus keeps inviting us to do life with him. And as we see in this story, Jesus is always walking towards us to do us good. Well, the breakfast is over. And then Jesus wants to, in a sense, drive this point home for Peter because Peter's got some issues still, yeah? Um, He loves Jesus with a passion, but he needs an opportunity to declare it. Three times he declares to Jesus, yes, Lord, I love you. I love you. God, you know all things, Jesus. You know I love you. And as Peter is speaking those words out, those words are going into his own ears and down into his heart and reinforcing that love. And it's that love of Jesus that lets him let go of the baggage and take up his place again in God's plans. Isn't that wonderful? Jesus is doing some pastoral care and healing in that encounter. He's not bagging him out. He's restoring him. Friends, with that fresh start, Peter and the other disciples keep following Jesus and keep joining in God's restoration story for his world, and just as well they did, because 40 or 50 generations later, this good news of Jesus has come down to you and me, yes? And this good news, the Holy Spirit's opened our hearts to receive Jesus, has made us children of God and given us a hope and a future. We are now part of God's story, and I want to submit to your friends that 
since we know we are loved and treasured, forgiven people of God, and we get to play our part in God's plans in the world, why would you want to settle for anything less than doing life with Jesus? Why would you? And the author of Hebrews wants to nail this point home in Hebrews chapter 12. Just a bit of background. Um, The writer of Hebrews urges his audience not to return back to their former way of life in the Jewish faith, but, but to keep walking in the freedom and life Jesus has for us. He urges his readers and us not to get distracted by lesser things or things that have no future in God's plans but to run the race, trusting in God's promises and keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. He writes, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. I was thinking about the image. You ever seen a fly caught in a spider's web? It's not able to move. And I think in the same way, It's impossible to run the race of faith if we are carrying huge burdens and baggages of guilt or shame or bitterness or blame. Friends, I wonder, what might be hindering you and me from the fullness of life Jesus wants for us? Maybe it's pride. Oh, I'm the boss of me. No one's going to tell me what to do. Perhaps your burden or baggage is fear, anxiety or worry that it fills every part of your day. Maybe there's unforgiveness, bitterness, resentment, rage just brewing inside you all the time. Perhaps there are some destructive habits or addictions or afflictions that entangle you. Maybe a sense of being rejected. An orphan spirit. Or a victim mentality. Or could it be we are simply distracted and enticed by the things of this world. It gets between us and Jesus constantly. Friends, whatever hinders us or entangles us, the good news is that we can renounce it, confess it, and be cleansed of it through the blood of Jesus and the authority of his name. Amen? And when Jesus sets us free, then we can run the race without hindrance. Amen? The next thing he says, and let us run the race with perseverance. Let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Friends, to run a race, an athlete has got to keep their eyes fixed and know where the finish line is, yes? They've got to keep their eyes fixed on the goal. And the writer of Hebrews says, hey, 
If you want to finish the race, you've got to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Otherwise, you could go off into some other place. Friends, whatever is our passion or focus in life, that is shaping us all the time for better or for worse. But the thing is with Jesus, he's always shaping us for the better, making us better versions of ourselves, restoring the image of God, the person that God created us to be. Yes, that's what he does. He gets rid of the rubbish and grows us as children of God. As pioneer of our faith, Jesus has blazed the way before us and so we walk in his steps and follow him all the way home. As the perfecter of our faith, the telos of our faith, Jesus is also the goal of the destiny that we go to. Yes, to see him face to face. Pioneer and perfecter. And then the writer of Hebrews tells us about the cost. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Friends, let me ask you, what was the joy for Jesus in scorning the cross? What was his joy in going through that? His joy, his joy was to do life with you, to do life with you, to bless others through you and to share eternity with you. That was his joy. And for that joy, he was prepared to pay the price. Oh. Friends, let me ask you a question. Of all the things that fill up your lives, what on earth is going to last forever? It's a really important question. Because we can waste a lot of our life on trivial pursuits. They may not be bad things, but they may not be eternal things. And I'm not saying we've got to be so heavenly minded that we're no earthly use, right? But what's going to last forever? Well, anything connected to Jesus, the kingdom of God, the word of God, the love of God, the promises of God, anything that's built on Jesus is going to last forever. And so, friends, as I bid you farewell, I encourage you to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus because as you do that, the Spirit of God will open endless opportunities for you to share the love and good news of Jesus with others so they can taste and see that the Lord is good. And so let me leave you with this blessing. In Jesus' name, may God fill you with his Holy Spirit so thousands and thousands of people will come to know the love of Jesus through the people of Good Shepherd, find their home in his unfailing love, and share an eternity of life with him. And the people of God said, Amen.